0: gentlemen it is Wednesday June 3rd this is host producer Tommy Gallagher and I am welcomed once again by Mitch and Jack. Boys there is a lot going on in the world right now and obviously we want to you know give our condolences to George Floyd's family and George Floyd himself and obviously, um, you know, very sensitive issue, but here in the podcast, um, we just want to let everyone know that we send our support out to the world and, you know, we wish for safety amongst everyone. And obviously during these times, um, just praying for, you know, better future for everyone. But, um, yeah, we will take a moment there really quick, and and just wanted to, you know, like I said, um, give our best to everyone, and and um, don't want to be too heavy on the topic, but uh, I think everyone knows what's going on. But um, Mitch, what's going on, man? How's your life been the last week or so, and and how are you staying sane during all this? What's up, dude.
1: Um, been all right, you know. Been spotted up at home still, um, you know. Plugging away at the the daily activities. We got the MLB draft coming up, and some uh, you know more news obviously stirring on the the MLB side. So you know, hopeful that we get a get a season, but also kind of moving into the draft here, um, finalizing some things, and been sitting on, on some or sitting in on some fun meetings. Um, you know, so I've been able to keep
0: busy. Uh, other than that, man, you know, just just getting through it. So for our new listeners and those that have been listening for some time that might not know, Mitch, uh, is a scout for the Los Angeles Dodgers. Um, Mitch, as much as you can tell us, what's that kind of been like for you and, and that process just on your side of the business and, and getting ready for something that's kind of been long anticipated, man.
1: Uh, it's been good, man. I mean, obviously, so this is my first year doing it. Um, so it's, it's been a, a challenge in in a couple different ways. Um, but obviously, you know, going out this year was hoping to get to more games, see more players. And that's kind of how you develop a Rolodex as a scout. I mean, you see these like old time scouts that just have this unbelievable memory of like comparing uh, current players, the people they've seen in the past, and kind of have a track record of how those guys did. Um, so the the only way you really develop that is if you're at games seeing players. So obviously, unfortunate, had to miss out on that the first year of scouting. But on the same side, you know, learned a lot going through doing stuff on, on the web, utilizing social media, um, creating a lot of contacts with coaches. Um, so there's a lot of things we were able to supplement, and I feel like I I learned that aspect of the job um, you know, due to the being basically locked down for the most part. So it's been a little bit of a transition, but kind of moving into the draft, man. I mean, it's, you know, most of our work is done on the year. Um, and we're just kind of finalizing some fun th- or some some things. And I'm looking forward to going into my first draft. And, you know, hope, hopefully we lock down the guys that, you know, the organization, um, you know, have interest in and, and we, uh, you know, lock down some good players. So I'm excited for it um you know can't give you too many too many details on on the whole process but uh definitely excited yeah dude, hey, should, you... would
2: you draft yourself
0: fuck no next question <laughs> next question dude i mean this is what just like several rounds this year too right so you're literally just getting a, a taste or a glimpse of like what it will be to come and stuff so Well, cool, dude. I'm excited to kind of hear how that process goes and and see where you guys end up after it all. I'm sure these next couple days and weeks will be stressful and and whatnot, but uh, exciting nonetheless. And so, Jack, we'll throw it over to you, man. How are you doing um, during all this, and how's your last week been?
2: Hey, guys. I'm doing great. Uh, Tom, thanks for asking. You're a stand-up gentleman. Uh, Nothing's really changed. Um, I was telling you guys a little bit before we started recording, I I built a a do-it-yourself driving range in my apartment. So hopefully... My wife's not listening. Um, Pretty easy (laughs) project. I hung a couple blankets in our kitchen and then moved some furniture and it gave me an alley to get some full swings in. And I bought these uh, like foam golf balls. I can really just wail on it. Um, Get some extra extra reps with the irons in while I'm at home. Uh, It will likely not impact my game on the course, but it's all about preparation, so
0: I'm doing all right. Excited. To it it with sounds you. sick too, right? It's something cool to say. Yeah, I got a driving range in my old place now. Are you? Wait, so <laughs> how are you hitting them? Like, what the heck are you hitting off of, and how are you striking the ball? Uh,
2: I'm hitting it off of a. I don't know really really know how to describe this. A, a bath mat that kind of has those fluffy uh, yep. things coming up a little mm-hmm. bit. Yeah. So that definitely didn't paint a picture in the listener's head whatsoever. But hitting off of that. And it's pretty quiet, so it's I'm hitting off of that thing. Uh, the balls are foam, and then they're going right into a blanket. It was kind of a crash course today, and I'll I'll, I'll try to fine tune it as I go and keep you guys updated. But killed some time that way, and uh, yeah, I mean now we're here. We're
3: gonna have it's to get like TrackMan
1: cool. set up for you, Jack. I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> so are you are you good enough to hit foam golf balls? Now, I'm genuinely curious into a net. And like be like, oh, I, I shanked that one or so I sliced it. Like you got a good enough feel to like kind of know like what your swings are doing. Because if I were to do that, I'd be like, I'm just getting swings at this point. I have no idea where the fucking ball is going. Yeah, I probably have about twenty
2: five feet to see the ball flight. Mm-hmm. And I would say if you play golf a lot, you probably know just based off of like the swing and the way yeah. your body feels oh, during felt. the swing. Yeah. Be better, Mitch. Be better.
1: Oh no, I'm so, terrible. I'm a terrible player.
2: Yeah, I mean, you still, like, mishit them, and they go, you know, they smack off your wall, but they're foam, so it doesn't bother anybody.
0: Innovative. I like it, Jack. <laughs> That's sweet, though, dude. I, I love it. I love it. Tommy, how are you doing since last episode? Yeah, Tom, good. how are you? Thanks for asking. I'm doing good, man. I'm doing good. Um, I am, once again, back up in Minnesota. Um, kind of where, not kind of, it is where all this originally stemmed from, um, and it's been interesting to kind of see and hear firsthand up here now from friends and family and stuff um what's going on luckily we're uh you know about 30 40 minutes away from the heart of everything going on but uh, it's good to be back up here with family and everything especially during this time and um yeah but i think uh for the most part it's um exciting to be back up here we're finally having beautiful weather striking balls in the course getting out in the lakes and stuff and we're finally hitting what seems to be phase two assuming that this doesn't set us back some so it's uh it's you know a tough time um but uh in terms of activities and stuff it'll be exciting here soon um but obviously don't want to have that overshadow what's going on right now but um all in all good man i uh i'm just kind of you know channeling everything going on and and trying to just kind of do some self-reflection during all this but um some exciting stuff on the docket today. Uh, Mitch, you talked about it a little bit earlier. Um, baseball's got the draft going on, but some other ups or exciting draft or baseball news. Um, baseball announced today on Monday, June 1st, when we're recording this, um, that there is pretty much confirmed a 50 to 60 game season. We don't know when it's going to start and we don't know if that's going to be the exact game amount, but Jeff Passan today said, yeah, 50 to 60 games, that's what we're looking at. We're looking at prorated contracts. Um, what are you guys' thoughts? So we'll throw it over to Jack.
2: Uh, I'm stoked. I, I We got a, a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel. NHL kind of figured out their stuff. MLB figured out their stuff, seemingly. Um, so like Mitch said a couple weeks ago, obviously you can't put a lot of stock in it until it's finalized, but uh, from the outside looking in, it's awesome. I think the the shortened season is what I'm most excited about. You know, guys being revved up to, to really get after it for
0: 50, 60 games. Brings the playoffs faster, which is great. Um, I'm all in. I can't wait. Dude, this is going to be absolutely insane. Like, I mean, not to say that every game doesn't matter in a 162-game season, but, like, every game matters that much more. And like you said, players are just going to be jacked up, ready to go. It's going to be sweet to kind of see the competition um, just get a little bit higher, um, you know, have a little bit more edge and, and meaning to every single play um but mitch what are your thoughts man what it's yeah what are you I mean, on obviously,
1: obviously excited um you know like jack said it gives us some hope that there's going to be a season I, I would be really really surprised if they don't counter with some sort of different offer that goes a little bit longer like if they pushed it to like You know, 80, I heard like 82 games or, you know, right around like that 80, 90 mark um, is is probably what I would anticipate them kind of coming back with as a counter. Uh, But definitely some some momentum, some some movement in the right direction for sure. I think fans are getting excited. Um, hopefully you know they can come to a deal and, and get everyone back on board with it um, so we can get things rolling but I agree I think the shortened season is going to be really interesting I mean obviously it's not ideal but um, nothing in the scenario has been ideal so it, it'll be really cool to see these guys come out with some fire uh, I'm sure the players are ready to get going ready to play um, and then obviously you know Every game is is more important than it would in a regular season. Um, it's gonna bring bring a good competitive edge. It's gonna be fun to watch. So I'm excited for it, man. Uh, I could take ten games and you know, be extremely happy. so at this point, but I just want I just need some baseball man. need some live action.
0: So I'm excited. Well, speaking of needing baseball in live action and kind of tying it all into what you do, Mitch, with you know looking at scouting and, and high school play and college play, Iowa just started high school baseball and high school softball today. So we're starting to get a little bit of taste here. We're going to kind of see what that does. Um, but all in all, exciting, right? I mean, baseball is back, and it's going to be back here sooner than we know it. Um, dude, it, it's just... It feels like there's a little bit more of a brush, or you know, a breath of fresh air with it, and you're finally getting something to talk about a little bit more. Um, and beyond all this news, it's it'll be nice to have some sports to watch, and so exciting, you know, to have that come down the road. And and we talked about it a little bit here, guys. Um, Want to throw it for debate here? Once fans are back into the game, once we get celebrities throwing first pitches and such, we talked about the first pitch debate. And Jack, walk us through your mindset of what you would you know, consider um, your stance on throwing the first pitch out of the game and what you would maybe kind of see on the other side.
2: Well, well, this started, I don't know what was going on. My brain was probably, I probably had a couple cups of coffee. My brain was buzzing all over the place. But I texted our loops. group chat and I said, if you guys had the chance to throw out the first pitch of a game in a major league stadium, would you just try to throw it in there and locate or would you try to try to max out and just like light up the radar gun and impress everybody. And I don't know. I, I would, I know Mitch and I
1: have different thoughts here. Mitch, actually you go. What's your thought? I'm letting the fucker eat. I am throwing it as hard as I can through that catcher's forehead. And I'm probably miss. I'll probably hit the mascot. I'll probably hit someone taking camera pictures over in the stands, you know, totally innocent bystander I'm taking out, but I'm letting it rip. I'm letting it rip, Jack. I'm throwing as hard as I can. And part of the reason is when I started throwing BP at UIC after I tore my labrum, I could not do the, I can't do the feel thing. Like I can't just like lob it in there. I can't give like a little bit behind it. It's either all will go and my shoulder's killing me or it's like spike in the ground and ball's flying. So I got to go all out. I'm letting it rip. You are so dumb. Oh, I'm, I, I – We know that.
2: <laughs> <laughs> we know that, Jack. We, we talk about uh, We talk about feel on this podcast all the time. We've had, you know, episodes that haven't been dropped yet with people that reference it, past episodes people have referenced it. You're telling me, Shu, you played affiliate ball, you're, and and you know what the process is like for how that catcher gets selected to go out there and catch it before the game even starts. Hey, uh, guy that's not playing today, can you grab some glove that's not yours and just go squat behind home plate and then have this guy who's in good shape and played affiliate ball light your ass up while you're sitting 45 feet away? <laughs> oh, sure. That sounds like a great idea. No, you go out there, you wave to the crowd, you throw a little BP fastball down the middle, you know, 40, 50 miles an hour. You shake the guy's hand, he signs it, pictures, you walk off, and then you enjoy ball And then
1: then you're just another guy who threw out the first pitch. You're just the lost soul in the mess. I'm trying to make a freaking statement, Jack. I'm making a statement when I go out there. People are going to know who I am. I wasn't good enough to make it to the big leagues. That's my moment. That is my moment right there.
0: I'm going. If you're saying Jack, <laughs> if you're not throwing it hard, you're throwing it 40 to 50 miles an hour. So you're literally just lobbing it in there, like it's a like hard Like
1: you're
0: just playing catch. Yeah, you still gotta That's have some something behind it's big,
1: it. It's bigger than this, Jack. It's bigger than that. 40
2: to 50 miles an hour is more than enough to look appealing to the eye and just groove a, a little BP fastball in there.
1: Yeah, if you're standing from 40 feet away, I'm getting on the bump, baby. I'm standing on the rubber. I'm putting my spikes on. We're getting after it. I'm okay. taking, I'm, that's my moment.
0: That is you my moment, You just got Jack. selected from some great clips business card right in and to throw first pitch at a Cubs game or Cardinals game, whatever it is, and you're telling me you're out there with your buddies, you got – Boys on the sideline taking pictures of you, couple rockets in the stands, and you're just going to go out there and throw 40 to 50 mile an hour lob pitch? You got yes. it. I don't oh. buy
1: it. I don't buy it, Jack. I think the adrenaline kicks in. I think you let her eat.
0: It's lose-lose. <laughs> you you mean?
1: might as well
0: You might as well be in the concession stand line getting beers at that point because it's a waste of time to go out there and just lob it in there, in my opinion. <laughs> it's lose-lose. If, if you If you
2: rev up and dot a heater and then the guy that's catching it's pissed at you. All the guys that are actually playing in the game think you're a D-bag. And then, like you're saying, Shu, if you rev up and you send this thing to the backstop, you look like an absolute idiot.
1: Yeah, that actually make that brings up an interesting point. I'm curious. What's your favorite first pitch that's ever been out? Like, out of all of them, what's your favorite?
0: That's ever, been thrown? Said, that's ever said, been thrown? That's ever been thrown. Where he throws it, like, into the ground?
1: Yeah, just ever been thrown in general.
0: A good one, a bad one.
1: Whatever you got. That that one was sick, right? That that was the one where she did the backflip? Yes. Yeah, that was awesome. That was badass. That was a good
2: one. Uh, Who hit the cameraman in the nuts? (laughs) (laughs) I
1: don't know, but that guy. That that one's mine. (laughs) That's the guy. Dude, I I love 50 cents. Dude, 50. Oh, my God. That one makes me die every time, bro. He threw it, like, literally, like, if you had a camera angle right behind home plate, you wouldn't see the ball. Like, that's how wide it was. It was unbelievable. Unbelievable. It was great, though.
0: It was great. I think you guys would be nervous if you threw the first pitch. Like, I mean, you guys played you know, 100%. It was semi-pro ball. Yeah, totally. And that's where I
2: agree. With. That's where I agree with Shoe, where you can go out there and throw fastballs, max effort all day. And then, situation like that where you're kind of lobbing it in, it's kind of tough to have that, that feel out of nowhere. That's why you see pitchers throw routine bunts away all the time because they're just not used to that thing um but yeah you'd be nervous i mean it goes back to the lose lose thing there's very little victories that come out of first pitch
0: so to continue the topic of debates and for the listeners sake we thought we'd start throwing in here i don't know what we're going to call we'll come up with a name after this and essentially just pick three of a topic we'll pick our three best and we'll kind of go through the line, you know, guy guy guy, and we'll kind of just debate our favorites of whatever the topic is. So this week we're talking three favorite actors or actresses, characters on a TV show. We'll start this time we'll do Mitch, Jack, Tommy. And we're not going to do Snake or anything like that. We'll do Mitch, Jack, Tommy, Mitch, Jack, Tommy, Mitch, Jack, Tommy. 3 rounds, 9. Say that years. 5 times fast.
3: Huh. Oh, so
1: this is this is like a, this is like a draft. This is like a draft.
0: Yeah, but not a snake draft or anything, not like your fantasy not snake like a, draft, but just like three favorites. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I get to Mitch, I
1: get to start it off.
0: Number 1 spot, number 1 my character. My
1: G-Metal number 1 or my number 3. We're going to go straight in with the number ones. I like that. I like that idea. Um my number 1 character on all TV shows is Michael Scott from The Office. He is my number 1. You're so basic. Oh, dude, but he's, is he not the greatest? Yeah, he's is he is. so funny. It's just, it's the best. I love it. I love it. You
2: know, you've had a good career when when uh, most text chains have a, a gif of you in there.
1: <laughs> totally. Totally. He's just perfect. Perfect for that role. Was,
3: so oh, yeah,
1: that's Mike that's Scott. Good. my one. Great pick. Uh, I'm going to go
2: Jax
0: Teller, Sons of Anarchy.
1: Ooh.
0: He looks nice dude. in the leather coat. I might get my nuts snipped, but I've never watched that show, and I need to so bad. I need to. Lock it in. Okay. My number one pick, Eric Cartman, South Park. Guy (laughs) makes the show. Little chubby fourth-grader, 10-year-old kid. (laughs) Just absurd (laughs) character. Eric Cartman. Yeah. That's true. He's phenomenal. All
1: right, I got my number two. More of a more of a serious role. I got well, kinda. He's kind of funny too, but unintentionally. Jesse Pinkman from Breaking Bad. Love Jesse yeah. Pinkman. If you get a chance, and if you've seen Breaking Bad, go to YouTube, watch the Jesse Pinkman bitch collage. It's the funniest shit that you ever see of him just saying bitch all the time, and it's so fun <laughs> <laughs> like, through the whole show. It's hilarious. Just a montage of it. It's great.
2: All right, uh, my second pick is Lip Gallagher from Shameless.
1: Oh, that's a good
0: one, Jack. That's
1: a good
2: yeah, one. I
0: didn't expect yeah. that. That's my boys. I know. You know my my grandpa is Frank Gallagher.
2: Beauty. I know.
0: Irish not a job. man. Not well. Might <laughs> might have had a couple cocktails in his day. <laughs> um, all right, in my number two spot, Barney Stinson, How I Met Your Mother. Oh, oh yeah, Barney. Two comedy guys, two comedy guys, all-time characters, in my opinion. Not really main, you know, like the main characters of their show, but just kind of keep it lively. All right, Stu, number three. Yeah, I'm calling calling an audible on this one. I had a third written
1: down, but then another one came to mind, and he's definitely, uh, he's got to be in my mix. Uh, I don't know if you guys are Criminal Mind fans, but Spencer Reed... Dude, Spencer yeah. Reed from criminal Minds phenomenal character He's just like that guy that you you just like watch a show and you're like man like I hope one day my son is Spencer Reed like I hope that's my son but you don't like want him to be your brother because then your brother's just like way better than you at everything so you want him to be your son you know that kind of that kind of a great guy
0: yeah great pick He's kind of an underrated heartthrob too so good pick I like he that. he is
2: yeah he is uh my last pick I'm gonna go with Otto from Rocket Power. Oh, dude,
0: Otto! Ooh, what yes. a throwback! Yeah, that show was uh, so sick, dude.
2: S- that show made everyone want a skateboard. When he went down Bruise Man's Curve, are you kidding me? I went dude. out on my skateboard and 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 skinned up my knees ten minutes after that.
1: Dude, you guys remember the episode where they go in the the crazy skate park they built? like that like skate world and they're all yeah. skating in it. And then they were like, fuck that. We're out. We're skating the streets. I was like, yeah, that's <laughs> badass. I love My boys. You guys. My man. Get back in the street, dude. Street tricks. Yeah. That was sick.
0: That show is awesome. Great pick Jack. All right. Mine's not going to be as good. It's too basic for it to hype people up, but Jon Snow, Game of Thrones, just all time character. Um, but close your ears right now. If you haven't seen it, fell in love with his cousin, kind of whack, kind of yeah. whack, but yeah. so like kind of does take a little bit there. But um, I gotta, I gotta make sure I don't, uh, don't. I gotta, or I gotta tell,
1: I gotta tell Allie not to watch this because she just, my girlfriend just started the show um, this week. I don't know how, like it took this long to start, but she started
0: and she's dude. That's like five weeks of Christmas during quarantine. Oh, like to dude. have that on deck could you imagine oh my god right Not having that that's like, what i told her him? like
1: i was like upset with her i'm like you haven't seen this but then at the same time like extremely jealous extremely jealous i'm like man i really wish i had that like just no no idea what was gonna happen that would be amazing
0: but yeah john snow's a beast man he's a beast do you guys got any honorable mentions who didn't make the list yeah, Jon Snow
2: was on my honorable mention, but um, I felt like it was a little too basic, not throwing shade. And then I had Andy Bernard. Okay. All the nard dog.
0: Bernard is fucking awesome. Look at there, look at there. See, okay, I almost left off Jon Snow for... I talk about it to you guys in text, I'm, I'm sure there's some listeners that have watched it. Pursuits, Harvey Specter, just yeah. all-time character, all-time character, so suave, just... Knows his shit, just a beauty all time guy, and then Tim Riggins, but that's kind of cliche. Oh, also, he's both those cross
2: my mind. Yeah, Harvey yeah, Specter yeah. makes you want to throw a suit on and just go
0: close some deals, dude. You want to just be the sickest dude in, in all of New York, and he just is. He just is that. He just is. <laughs> Shoot, what about you? Anyone that got left off the list?
1: Yeah, there was a couple. John Snow is on there. Huh. He was he was in the mix. I feel like he has to. Like you just think of like the all time great shows, and it's just like. Yeah, you could pick Arya, you could pick, you could pick just about anyone in that show and, like, have, like, a reasonable, unless you picked, like, Sansa, but, uh, regardless, <laughs> you could pick, like, anyone from that show and, and make an argument, so, yeah, Jon Snow is on there, uh, Entourage, for all my Entourage friends, uh, Ari Gold was in the mix, pretty, pretty hilarious character, pretty outlandish, a little ridiculous, but, uh, very creative with his words um to put it nicely and then uh Vinny chase from entourage Vinny chase is just like the man just movie star good looking does it all you love Super your entourage. entourage i dude it's it's a great show i mean i haven't seen it forever but
0: it was I, uh it was a good one another jealousy uh you know spot to be in uh, i i just started that show too mitch so Mm-hmm. I, I'm excited to kind of hear what it's all about because everyone says good things. So yeah. maybe that's just what one of maybe the, that's what we'll do. It, you. Yeah. Top three T V shows. Maybe that's what we'll have to throw on here one time. But yeah. Couple. All right. Well well that that'll be something that we'll continue doing. Uh, that's kinda fun. I like that. That was a little bit more uh, kind of just throw together and, and see what sticks. And, and I think that's one that'll, that'll kind of stick with us. That was fun. So
2: it's a little uh, bit better than,
0: than trying to uh,
2: make people interested by saying, what have you done during quarantine? Uh, I don't know. Nothing.
0: <laughs> oh, I played like so much more Xbox and hit so many more golf balls. Sick no yeah so (laughs) i guess throw in topics too if you guys want to um feel free to send those over on our social media at plus underscore chirp on twitter and at plus chirp on instagram so um but great guest today guys uh hannah huseman um mental skills coordinator of the philadelphia phillies in the organization and creator of mental sweat monday um hannah was an all-around phenomenal guest um great to hang out with and talk with had some good laughs with her Um, anything you guys want to say before we throw it over her way?
2: Yeah, I think it was cool for Mitch and I just to kind of look back on our careers while we were talking with her. Um, you know, the mental game, it's not really popular, you know, it doesn't really get talked about too much. Most of the focus on social media and, and, um, guys that are playing today would be, you know, getting in the weight room, throwing, hitting in the off season. And I think the conversation with her just goes to show that if you're not in a good place mentally, when you go play, um, everything you've done off the field, kind of falls by the wayside. So very very insightful conversation. Um, it was great to talk with her, and I think you guys will pick up
0: quite a bit. Yeah, dude, all around just great conversation and a lot of good points on both ends, you know. So I'll let you guys listen to the conversation between Hannah and the guys, and, and we're really looking forward to bringing on another awesome guest for you guys next week. But we'll throw it over to the guys and Hannah now.
2: This interview is brought to you by our friends over at Goat Baseball. Go check out their website at goatbaseball.com. That's G O A T bsbl.com and use the code CHIRP15 at checkout for 15% off your next order. All right. We now welcome on a mental skills coach for the Philadelphia Phillies, Hannah Huseman. Hannah, thank you for coming on.
3: Hey guys. Thanks for having me.
2: You bet. Um, So I know that the mental game in baseball and kind of mental health and wellness throughout the world has come to the forefront in recent years. So we kind of just wanted to connect with you and, and run through um, your past with being an athlete and then getting involved with uh, professional baseball and kind of what your role is today.
3: Yeah, so long story short, I grew up pretty much playing all the sports. Um, I had a younger brother who we're pretty close. We're like 21 months apart. So we grew up super, super competitive Um fighting and then playing basketball in the yard and wrestling and all that good stuff. Um, and so I've like born and bred compete on almost everything I do. Um, and I guess as I got older, my top two sports were basketball and softball. Um, really spent a lot of time in those, played AU basketball and travel softball. Um, and then ended up actually deciding to play basketball in college and, um, went to the university of Tennessee Chattanooga and had a pretty unique path. I played basketball my freshman year, and then I actually ended up switching sports and playing softball at the same university um, for the next three years. Um, it was it was a pretty smooth transition, but it didn't come at an easy decision. Um, a lot of turmoil, a lot of figuring out what was the right thing to do. Should I keep playing basketball? Should I try to play softball? Should I stop playing sports in general? Um, so that was kind of a crazy time. But um, And then my undergrad was actually in exercise science. So I thought I... Again, like I grew up in sports and seriously identified in sports and everything I did um, and knew like going forward that whatever I was going to do for the rest of my life was absolutely going to involve sports in some way, shape or form Um, just because it's something I'm incredibly passionate about and just feel like I'm just truly myself when I'm doing that. And I think that's super unique in the world. If you can find something like that, you should run with it. And so I thought I was going to be a softball coach or a basketball coach. Um, At one point, I thought I was going to be a strength and conditioning coach Um, and then just did a couple internships and nothing was like, yes, absolutely. This is what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. Um, And then my senior year of undergrad, I actually took a intro to sports psych class and it was in the spring. So I was almost about to finish. So I was almost like halfway through my senior softball career. So it was like kind of too late to implement anything. But I was like, what in the world is sports psychology? Why have I never heard of it? Why are we not using this? And how can I learn literally everything in the world about it? Um, So started researching programs and um, found an awesome sports psychology program at the University of Tennessee um, in Knoxville. So went right up the road And got my master's in sports psychology and motor behavior, which is kind of just a really fancy way of saying how the mind and the body work together to produce optimal performance. And so from there, um, I did my first internship with the Pittsburgh Pirates, which was an awesome experience. Um, I actually did an internship with a professional junior golf academy before that, which Uh is really cool. I never played golf. So that was awesome. And then um, I moved to New York City for a year and a half and worked for a private practice doing the same thing. But there I got to work with athletes and non-athlete performers, which was awesome. It kind of broadened my horizons. Like I worked with firefighters and surgeons and actresses and CEOs of companies. So that was really cool. And then I eventually made my way back into baseball. And I am currently on year three of a mental skills coach for the Philadelphia Phillies.
2: So did Uh, you when you sorry, Shu no that's good <laughs> when Here's you were um when you were going through <laughs> just cut it's, it's all good <laughs> um when you were going through school did you know that you wanted to get back into sports or i know you mentioned you were working with like some first responders and ceos and, and things like that did you ever have any desire to kind of get into that part of it
3: um to be totally honest no um like while i was doing it i thought it was super cool and like it's not just right it's not just sports psychology it's performance psychology so like if you're performing, if you're doing anything, which if you're listening to this podcast, you probably perform on a daily basis in some way, shape or form, whether it's in a relationship, at work, at school, like whatever you're performing. And so it definitely made me realize everyone can use it. But it also made me realize, like, why I really wanted to work with athletes just and and, and high level performers, I guess, in high stress situations, just because they have a different mindset. Like they're just like more motivated, more resilient, like willing to do anything to like be the best they can possibly be. Whereas like the general public isn't like that. And that's, I'm definitely not to put it nicely, like the most empathetic person in the world. Like I'm like, it's very hard for me to just like understand, like I get it and I feel it, but I'm also going to push you and challenge you. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's just like, I personally work best with, people who want to be pushed and want to be the best they can possibly be and want to get better, no matter what the circumstances are. And I think that just falls easier with sports and like high level performers, like surgeons and firefighters, like we're so sick to work with, like, because they kind of have that same mindset mm-hmm. um, of like, how can I get better? even if I'm the top of my class, the top of my whatever, like I know I can still get better. And a lot of people, the place they can get better at is the mental side. Um, so it's, it's really cool to work with those types of people for
1: sure. So, so you talked about having a background in uh, kinesiology as well yep. as the mental skills side on um, the sports psych side. I'm curious, uh, you mentioned kind of that mind-body connection. Could you kind of elaborate on on what that means and how important it is for athletes?
3: Yeah, so it's incredibly important, right? The whole biomechanics, kinesis part of it is it's not just understanding like what your body is, but how it moves and why it moves a certain way. And, you know, it's it's especially in sports, like we're just told what to do and to take it a step further is to know how to do it. And then kind of the mental aspect is why do we do what we're doing? Right. If, If you know what to do, great. If you know how to do it. Awesome. If you know why you're doing it, you're like a master of the game because you don't just do it because in this scenario, you're supposed to do this. You do it because you know the scenario, you've read the scenario, you've processed what is best, and you know what the right decision to make in that particular situation is. And so it's just, it's more depth, right? It allows you context with the physical skill. And so if you can pair the physical and the mental together, which is what kind of we're constantly trying to do, um, it's like, you're unstoppable, right? Because, And I think that's a challenging part from the mental side, because we have amazing conversations. Like we'll sit in my office all day and we'll talk and we'll come up with awesome things for you to do and implement and practice. But you have to go out and pair that mental skill with a physical skill. And if you go out there and it goes totally out, then you're only performing physically. But if you can bring that out there and bridge that gap, then that's where the true advantage comes in. So it's huge. It's huge if you know not only what, but how and why. And I think that's a big piece of the mental aspect is. And there's different parts of the mental aspect, right? There's like confidence, but then there's also like a routine play. Do you know where you're Mm going to go with this, right? That's a mental piece. More on the performance side, but that's still a mental piece, right? And that's something you can practice and prepare for. And there's also parts of the mental game that you can't prepare for. And so how do you prepare for the unpreparable, right? Contingency planning is a big thing we talk about too. So yeah, combining those is is probably the secret to a lot of people.
1: <laughs> so having like the what, how, and why format, do you kind of try to attack it in that order? Um, do you start with the baseline? Okay, what are we trying to do? And then kind of move up the ladder? And is it very different for every athlete you work with? Because I'm sure some of them right away are like, boom, boom, boom. We can go to the third step where some guys kind of need to pump the brakes a little bit and start over. And how hard is that for guys to – pump the brakes on something like that. Cause they're just competitive people. Um, especially when you're working with high level athletes, you get a lot of guys that are like, Oh, I'm good at this. Like I can move on. Um, where some other guys are actually ready to, <laughs> to kind of take it to the next level. Yeah.
3: Yeah. I, yeah. A hundred percent. I think uh, first off, every single person I talk to is totally different, right? Like some people already have the what and the how, but they aren't grasping why they need to do something like, why I get what the coach is telling me to do, but why do I have to do this? Um, Or why is this important? Or how is this going to help me? Right. A lot of people want to know how is this going to help me? And so it's my job to kind of help them figure that out. Um, And I think you're right. Like everybody's always at different stages of where they're learning, what they're learning, how they're learning. Um, And the cool part of my job and all mental skills is there's no really right or wrong way to do something right? Like with you two guys, like one of you may perform really, really well. If I come up to you, yell at you, curse at you, like tell you, you're going to be cut right now. If you don't do this, right. Had that happen. And the other one could (laughs) completely break down, right? Like the other one could like, I'm not going to play. I quit, like could quit because of that. Right. And so it's, it's this really unique thing where there's a lot of trial and error. There's a lot of trying, it's a lot of getting to know the person, right? Because if I get to know you and your background and who you are, then when we're talking specific about something going on in your baseball world, I can think back to everything that you've experienced and gone through and how you learn better and how you communicate better and help you dissect what you probably already have and know, but do you know what works best for you? And that's kind of my job. And a lot of times guys are like, oh my God, I used to do that, but I haven't done it in forever. And I'm like, that's my job, right? My job is not necessarily to teach you some crazy shit that nobody's heard of, right? Like almost everything I teach, you guys have heard of. Like you guys know about confidence, motivation, resiliency, focus training, right? But do you actually know what it is? Do you actually know how to do it? And do you actually know why you're doing it? And chances are you don't have the answers to those three things. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of my job to help whatever they don't have to fill that spot. And then eventually like, There's definitely guys on our big league team who have and know all three of those. And like every now and then they just need a conversation and just a reminder here and there. And they're Mm -hmm. like, oh my God, I used to do that all the time in Double A when I was crushing. And it's like, (laughs) let's try it. And they're like, yes, (laughs) like it's, it's mental skills are so, so simple, but they're incredibly challenging and difficult to implement, especially like when you're under immense pressure.
2: So when you, when you have like that first conversation with a guy, whether it's like right after the draft, um, or a guy that's been in the big leagues for a couple of years, do you ever get, do you ever see any consistency with like pushback with guys that maybe got to the big leagues within like, I don't know, a year and a half or two years. And they're kind of setting their ways with how they do things. And then maybe they struggle a little bit and you step in and they're a little bit, um, opposed to kind of trying a new training method.
3: Yeah. I mean, I definitely think it's easier from the get go, right? Like if you're like in the grinds, like in Gulf coast league, like, if you're in extended spring training like you're definitely like more open to it and honestly like in the lower levels you really don't have a choice they're like you know you're in the lower levels because we have areas of improvement so you kind of have to buy into this and listen to this um yeah. don't get me wrong there's always people who don't but i definitely think you're more likely to come ask for it but i mean big league guys panic too right they're like everything not everything's not working but to, you know as human nature, the first thing we panic about is something physical. Like, let me change my stance. Let me change my grip. Let me change X, Y, and Z. Let me change my routine. Right. And the reality of it is like most of the time, like I don't know what the actual percentage is, but chances are it's probably not physical. Right. Because like if you're performing well one day and then performing horribly the next day, it's probably nothing crazy that you're doing with your body, maybe a minor adjustment. But the thing we really need to look into is the mental adjustment. And I mean, I think it varies per person too. Like some guys are super open and like, Hey, anything, give me anything. That'll help what I'm going through. <laughs> and other guys are like, I can figure it out myself. You know, it's, but I, I guess I haven't gotten a ton of experience on as far as like, like patterns and what I've seen, but I I'd say it's pretty, it's pretty even, I would say on like guys who get up there really quickly, which by the way, if you know a lot of guys who are getting to the big leagues in a year and a half or two years good for <laughs> yeah. you, because yeah. that's something I'm commonly having <laughs> to debunk also. It's like, you're probably not going to be in the big leagues in two years. So that doesn't mean you're not going to be there in four. But like, let's realistically evaluate like what's actually happening and going on. And so that's another big part of my job is like teaching awareness and teaching proper self-evaluation skills. Because a lot of times people either think they're way better than they are or not as good as they actually are. And so yeah. It's a really big human skill that uh, most people don't know how good or how poor they're actually performing, right? It, it like comes down to like, if you have a game, like think about the last game you've ever played in. It's like, was it a bad game or, or like, how was the game, right? And guys are like, oh, it's good or oh, it was bad. And it's like, what? Like, what are we learning from that in any way, shape or form? Like, come on, let's actually think about this. Let's dissect this. Let's both the good and the bad too, right? I think that's important too. We dissect the bad all the time, but we never dissect the good. Like, why was today such a good performance? Maybe we need to dissect that and try to Mm -hmm. repeat everything we did today in a routine way, not a superstitious way, right?
1: Yeah, I really, I really, I'm glad you brought that up because I'm really curious on how you approach. Um, that piece of it. Cause baseball players are just literally the worst with like routines versus <laughs> rituals and superstitions. Like, I mean, there's, there's stories about guys in the sixties and seventies that used to eat the same meal, like every single day when they were on yeah. a hot streak. So how do you like, um, like when the good times are rolling, when a guy's really hot, do you kind of just stay away a little bit or these kind of skills that, um, you preach to guys like, Hey, we can do this every single day whether things are going good or bad
3: i love that question. So within the minor leagues, I'm meeting with you, whether you're playing the best you've ever played or the worst you've ever played. And there's multiple reasons behind that. The first one is stigmatism, right? Like we have this stigma of like, oh, you only go talk to the sports psych person when shit's hitting the fan, you know, when things are really bad, when you're about to get released, you know, and it's like, no. Um, so everybody's going to meet with us. We're We take a more proactive approach rather than a reactive approach, right? I want to equip you with all the skills in the world, all the tools in the world in your toolbox so that no matter what happens, you are equipped to handle it versus something happening, you not being equipped. And then we have to start from square one and now we're already way behind because it's already gotten worse in in a a situation that we didn't want to be in. Um, So we do. Yeah. And, and it's actually some of my, favorite conversations like obviously the tough ones are when we're struggling but when people are doing really well and they come in and they're like hey I'm crushing it things are going well my routines I'm feeling it I don't want to change anything I'm like great I don't want to change anything but tell me exactly what you're doing why are things so well right now did you change anything to get to this point did you stop doing something did you add something did you take away something like I want them to actively think about why they are performing so well because if you don't know why, eventually it's gonna end, and then you're gonna be like, I don't know what happened. And it's like, did we write anything down? Did we create awareness around anything we're doing in order to know what we're doing when we're performing well, right? And, and that's like the biggest cheat book in the game, right? If you have a journal and you write down everything that's going well when you're playing well, and then all of a sudden you're not playing well because guess what, it's gonna happen, right? We're gonna play well, we're gonna play poorly. The next time we're playing poorly, we can go back and look at this map that we've drawn for ourselves or written out for ourselves and go down the line and say, am I doing this, 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 and this? Chances are we're not doing something in that. And instead of starting from square one, like a blank page, nothing going on, like at least we have a solid starting point of where we can go from there.
2: So are, are you pretty hands on with guys in terms of like the, the length of their routines? Because I remember as a player, like you mentioned that, like as you maybe you have success, you start adding on like one or two things a day. And next thing you know, your your daily routine starts at eight in the morning and you're, <laughs> yeah, cause I, you know, you're like stretching at the same exact time. You're doing the same weighted ball stuff in the bullpen at the same exact time. And yep. and then it just turns into like a huge laundry list of stuff that, you know, guys aren't even accrediting their success to like how good they are at the game. It's like, Oh, I, I tied my shoes this way yesterday. I got to do it again.
3: <laughs> yeah. Um,
2: so are you kind of pushing guys in the right direction to have like a meaningful routine versus like just a, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? A, uh,
1: like a ritual super, like super a, yeah, like a superstition. Yeah. Yeah.
3: yeah. So my whole thing on superstitions versus routines is really, really simple. So superstitions control you, you control your routines Right. So superstition is if I don't put this left sock on before I put my right sock on, I'm going to perform poorly today. Okay, you are all of a sudden letting some absolutely idiotic thing determine if you're going to play well or not today. Right. It doesn't even make sense. And when you talk about it, the players literally laughing with you. Right. They're like, I have no clue why I do this, but I do it. Right. So now you have created awareness like so it doesn't matter. Right. I'm going to challenge you to not do that today and see what happens. Right. And then versus a routine where it was like, I get ready, I start getting ready at 8am because I know when I do that, I'm plenty awake enough, I have time to do all my things, I'm not rushing and I'm just in a really solid place before the game, right? I do this because I know that produces the optimal zone, optimal level of energy for myself to perform as well as I possibly can that day. But I also know like with routines, like I can do everything right and I still may perform poorly today. Like it's just like a control thing, right? Which we all like to be in control and especially baseball players. Um, And so it's like, instead of letting something control you, why don't you take ownership and control everything you can control, right? Because so much in the game of baseball is outside of their control that it's like the one thing you can control besides, you know, the cliches attitudes and efforts is your preparation. And that includes your routine. You can, you can absolutely control everything you do in order to prepare for this game. Now, can you control If that preparation leads to success, no. Sometimes you prepare perfectly and you may not be successful. And that's just why we love baseball, right? You can do everything right and you may fail. Um, Or you can do everything wrong and you're successful. And sometimes we can't explain that. But the biggest thing about routines is just making sure they're they're doing something with a purpose, right? They're not just doing it because so-and-so said to take some... I don't know. The craziest thing I've ever heard is like the bath with like lemons and onions or something.
2: In it, like. <laughs> what? And, uh,
3: we had like three guys do that this year. If they hear the podcast they'll die laughing, but like one person did it and it worked. And so a couple of it was like, just, you know, it, the craziest thing. And like, if it's for fun and like comedic relief, I'm all for it. Like, I love comedy. I love laughing. I think there's power in that. But if you're really putting pressure and investing, like, how you're going to perform on something like that, then we really need to sit down and have a conversation about that and like why you're giving that so much power and and figure out how you can turn that focus into something productive instead of something harmful.
1: Yeah, it might get expensive buying all those lemons <laughs> and onions too. I mean, yeah, on, the, on a minor league budget, that might be
3: tough. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so let's talk about that first.
2: Yeah, it, what other ridiculous ones have you seen or heard?
3: Oh, that's a good question um i've i've heard of like sleeping with the bat um oh, yeah. burning of a bat um, proper burial what
2: <laughs> proper bat burial proper burial
3: yeah 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 uh-huh i've heard of that um i don't know those are probably the 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 craziest one was the bath one i was like excuse me and somebody just said it in like the most casual conversation and i'm like what did you just say and then Wait, So they're it, going into
2: like hot tubs or cold tubs with like cut up lemons and onions and just sitting in there? No,
3: like in hotels. Like oh, they would do
1: man. Like, oh,
3: yeah. Oh, yeah. And you know they're not staying at a fucking five-star Marriott. <laughs> you know?
1: Yeah. Well, hopefully the, hopefully the guys doing it were roommates and you didn't get stuck with the guy that's smelling the bathroom up with onions and lemons. I mean, that, that's, would. that would be brutal. I mean, I've had some pretty bad road partners, but that, that would top it off. I, I think that would be brutal.
3: I think sleeping like choosing where you sleep like on the bus like a lot of guys bring like the floaty um like pool thing that they sleep on the ground that was one of them too i think like they had to sleep on this specific float that was kind of wild yeah it's wild (laughs) um i'm
1: uh i'm curious so like we talk about like the mental side of things, but that, that mind body connection piece really like interests me. And I'm curious, do you use like some sort of skill development, um, for guys that are maybe more like visual learners or hands-on learners rather than just kind of like talking to them? Is there like some skill sets that you can develop that way? Cause I know personally, as a, as a player, like when I could like, visualize and kind of get into that mode where my mind was really locked in. It helped me a ton. So I'm curious, is there some like activities you use uh, for these guys to kind of help them, um, you know, perform better in that area?
3: Yeah, for sure. And so that's, that's one of the things we really try to do is we try to encompass all four learning styles in almost everything that we teach. Obviously like in a one-on-one session, it's a little more difficult, but especially in like the group sessions and the group workshops that we put on, we have visuals that they can see we have them get up and actually act things out we have them talk through things we have like one guy tell another guy what to do right so we're, we're having audio visuals kin- kinesthetic like people are talking and doing things too so we do try to mix it up um, most of most of baseball players are definitely like either like kinesthetic like I want to touch something and do something mm-hmm. um, like I want to go and just get 100 reps that's how I'm going to learn best um, or, um, visually seeing it, like usually just hearing it isn't going to get it. So we try really hard to either say something like seven times in a workshop or, um, really making cool, simple, sticky visuals that they like can easily grasp, um, onto because it is definitely challenging. And we, we actually like work really hard on making our presentation short and sweet, like, because we know, like, if we barely have the intention span for 15 or 20 minutes, we know theirs is going to last about seven and a half minutes. <laughs> so we really catered towards that's that. Generous. That's yeah, generous. Yeah, exactly. So, and we have, we also like have English and Spanish in one session. So like if we prepare a 30 minute session, that's only 15 minutes of content, right? If we're speaking in both languages. So we, a lot of preparation goes into how we're actually presenting the topics and and that's I think that's a big piece that people don't understand about what we do is like how much consideration goes into how we're actually teaching this stuff. And we don't necessarily do a ton of work on the field with the guys, but I think like in the next five to 10 years, you may see like mental skills coaches in the dugouts, mental skills coaches, like on the field, like really making sure you're like working and pairing a physical skill with the mental preparation for that skill. I I really do think it's going that way. So we'll see. I might have to put on some pinstripes in a couple years. Oh man,
1: that'd be sweet. Okay. That'd be big time. <laughs> oh, yeah. But, yeah. Um,
3: I'm,
1: I'm curious. You, you talked about uh, like guys wanting reps. I remember as a, as a player, as an athlete, it was always like, I'm going to go to the field. I'm going to throw, I'm going to hit for hours. I'm going to get reps mm-hmm. and reps and reps. <laughs> um, obviously we know, especially for pitchers, like you're only limited so many throws a day. Um, how important to you are visual reps in productive ways for guys to really, um, to really benefit from that. I, I, I uh, had read a, I can't remember what story it was or what book, but there was a, an old story about a guy that basically went to prison and he mentally, uh, did reps in his head of his golf game, right? Like hitting the green over and over and over again. And he comes out of prison and his first round of golf is the best round of golf he's ever shot. Now, I don't know how true that, that story is, but, um, you know it, it just brings up the point that like these visual reps can be so beneficial for us. And I think a lot of guys, and me personally, I'm guilty of it. Early in my career, I was like, oh, that you know, that's not gonna work. Like And then I realized as I started to do it, I felt more confident. I could really feel my body in my mind. It was really unbelievable how vivid um and how well you can connect the movements to what your thoughts are. Um, like how important is that for you for like your teaching standpoint?
3: Yeah. I one. I love that you even asked that question. Two. I love that you've actually used it and practiced it. And three. I've heard the golf story, and I do think that's true. Um, if you if you actually research like imagery or visualization, there's a ton of research studies. There's a really cool basketball one um, that's out about free throw shooting percentages, um, and it's like there's three groups, and one group like shoots actually physically shoots the balls. The second group, um, I think shoots half of them and visualizes half of them. And then the other group visualizes them. And then they, te- they test the improvement. And like almost all three groups improve the exact same way. Like because, and here's the science behind it is, your brain cannot tell the difference between actually physically doing something and mentally practicing it, right? The same neurons are actually firing in your brain if you were actually physically out there doing it and if you were getting a mental rep. But you have to do it the right way, right? You have to, there's so many stipulations of how to make imagery real. And it's like, you got to make it real time. You have to do it through your own eyes. You have to use all of the senses. You have to make it literally as real as possible, which I think is what intimidates people a lot. Is like It's actually a really deep, detailed process that you have to actually think about and, and take time to act. Just like you would actually go out and do it, it takes time. Just like you would actually mentally prepare for it and do it, it takes time. Um, But it's pretty amazing when done well. And that's actually like one of the things we're talking about, you know, with all the quarantine stuff going on right now is like the one of the only options you have is to do mental reps. So like, let's get them in, because as soon as you come back, whether we're going to play this year or not, or whatever is going to happen, like you want to make sure you're at the best of your game. And if you can't physically get all the reps in, let's mentally get as many freaking reps in as we possibly can. So it's a huge thing in sports psychology and mental skills is the mental reps of everything. And and again, like I don't just want you to get mental reps if you like performing perfectly or throwing no hitters or hitting a home run every single time you get up to the plate, right? I want you to make it as real as possible. I want you to visualize yourself having a good outing. And then I want you to visualize yourself having a tough outing, but getting out of it, right? How do you handle different circumstances that come at you, good, bad, and different? Um Yeah, it's it's an amazing, amazing tool when used the correct way. And, and I, I think it's like 100% rate. The guys who we've introduce it to and who take it seriously and who implement it they're like i love this like i, I want to do this all the time so it's, it's what are, really, really cool
1: yeah what are what are some of the techniques you kind of use to make those images like vivid for guys because i know like mental imagery we would do some exercises in college and like when i first started doing it i was so bad at it and i think that's why i was kind of turned off to it at first because like I really couldn't put myself in the situation. I really couldn't picture myself on the mound or in a bullpen. It was really hard for me to to do that. And it was a skill I felt like I developed over time. Um, but what are some like techniques for guys that struggle with that initial um, image to kind of keep them on the path to developing that skill?
3: Yeah. So. Uh- Like before we even start, I'll try to just like, okay, talk to me about a scenario where you are really well, are really good in and talk to me about a scenario you really struggle in. And then they'll just kind of verbalize a lot of the things and I'll try to like write it out for them. And then I'll send it to them and have them look over it and fix it and be like, oh no, no, it's more like this. Oh, it's more like this. I would say this. And so now they're like kind of creating buy-in when doing that. And so little do they know they're helping me create their script for themselves, but they're also like when you think about that, you're getting a mental rep in. So we think about it in the office and they go back and they read it and they get another rep in. And then, so by the time they come in, they've almost already got a little bit of exposure to it. So like the first time they either read through it or I read through it, or they listen to a recording, it's not necessarily the first time they've ever heard it. And like, I'll even say like the first couple of times you're going to laugh. It's going to be weird. You're going to open your eyes and be like, what the hell are we doing? Right? Like, and that's Okay. But just like every other physical skill you're going to do, it's going to take a lot of time, a lot of reps to figure it out, to figure out what exactly you want to hear and what exactly you need to hear in order to make this as effective as possible. So just like really encouraging them to like stick with it, try it five to 10 times before you hang it out. Like you're not allowed to try this once. One, it takes way too much time to write a whole script and record it. You are absolutely not allowed to listen to this one time. Um, and, and 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 again, making them short and sweet. Like I'm not gonna send somebody home with an hour long script to listen to, right? It's gonna be maybe five minutes, and then as it gets better and more advanced, and we can make it more real. But like literally going through every sense. Like what would you see right here? What do you taste right here? And they're like, taste, Hannah, what? And I'm like, do you taste dip? <laughs> do you taste sunflower seeds? Do you taste watermelon Gatorade? Do you taste cottonmouth? Like come on! And they're like dying laughing, and you're like, and again, it, it's it's a weird. Experience because we don't really think about that. And again, even doing that is helping them create awareness on the field. Maybe there's moments where they don't know what they're feeling, or they've never thought about what their hand actually feels like or what they're tasting. And so you're also creating awareness within that. And to me, the biggest mental skill you can have is awareness because if you don't know what's going on upstairs, like there's not a whole lot I can do to help you. Mm -hmm. And so we have to start creating awareness, whether it's good, bad, and different in a non-judgmental way. We want to create that awareness so we know where to go from there. So that, that's another huge benefit of imagery, but it's tough. It's definitely tough at first, and it's not for the people who want to get it in, get it out, and be done with it. It takes time and effort, and that's why, like, the first time I meet with them, I'm like, okay, let's do an imagery script, right? It's, it's, it's for specific guys and, and guys who really take mental skills training seriously who we would implement it with. Like, we're not just throwing that out like candy you
2: know so i want to go back to what you said earlier about mental skills coaches possibly being in the dugout down the road i know um sometimes coaches are like really good baseball minds and they have a hard time you know relating to players so you strike out you have a bad inning you come back into the dugout and now you're facing this coach that like you can't really connect with do you think there's that big of a disconnect where that's warranted down the line like maybe we don't even have the, the manager if he can't relate to these players talk to the guys like maybe he just writes a lineup card and we have mental coaches kind of taking it from there
3: I mean maybe I don't know I guess I guess it all depends like right we it depends on the manager it depends on their personality and like it's interesting because everybody has different relationships with the players right like and and some players are closer with other coaches and some and so I think I think it's really unique if you really watch and pay attention to one team you'll see like specific guys gravitate towards specific coaches and like a coach has you know like five or six guys that he's really really close with and so it, it wouldn't surprise me at all if like that's specific to like and then uh, not that other coaches aren't equipped but like mental skills coaches are like technically prepared for those exact moments um but i i also think it's the mental skills coaches jobs to prepare the, the staff and to educate the staff mm. on like hey like if these are your five or six guys, how can I help you get to know them even better? And how can like, how can we talk through when, when they're playing poorly? What do they need to hear? Do you know? Do they know? Like, let's have that conversation before, again, before that hits the fan. Like, hey, if you're playing bad, what do you want to hear? Uh, just leave me alone. Are you sure? Yep, just leave me alone. Okay, good to know. Because if I come up and I'm like, hey, what can I help you? And all of a sudden, this guy's like, up off, you know, all of a sudden, this guy's an asshole. But it's like, hey that's just how he's coping and that's okay, but maybe we weren't prepared. And so I think a lot of it is educating like staff and the players on like, do you know what you need in the heat of the moment, whether you're playing really well or really bad or whatever, like, and that's such an individual basis that I think people naturally gravitate towards certain people.
2: Yeah. I mean, I know it's a pretty drastic example or hypothetical, but like there are guys, guys have had their, their careers shortened or ruined because like they just can't get over a mental hump. So I, I I was being serious. I think it'd be pretty unique to see like a mental coach be kind of the go-to person in the dugout.
3: Yeah. And I think, I think it's such, right. It's it's just like everything in baseball, you got to tread lightly, right? Because like this, the big thing for mental skills coaches and like what we're taught in grad school is like stay in the background, but make sure you're available all the time. Right. It's like, you're never in the middle of the huddle. You're never the hype man. Like you're not the manager, like, or woman, whatever, like, but you are always there and always available. And so like, if somebody like strikes down and walks and I'm not going to walk up and be like, what happened? You know, like, it's like, you got to stay back. And then if they want to approach you or they want to say something, or they want to have that, at least that's how I envision it. It's like, you're kind of in the corner, you're watching every move, you're paying attention, you're there but you're not in the forefront. You're not in the middle of it all. You're just there. You're supporting them. You are another lifeline for them to use when they need you. Um, and and again, I don't know how much work can actually happen in a game, right? I would hope most of that is proactively being worked on before, like way before, not even the morning of, right? Like way before. But if, you, if they can see you and all of a sudden that serves as a reminder, oh, shoot, I need to do this. Oh, shoot, I need to take a deep breath. Oh, shoot, uh, I forgot to reset with the left foul pole, whatever it is, like, then I think it serves a great purpose. So I I think it's all in how whoever gets that position, like how they handle it and how they're, they're integrated into the team and the team dynamic, honestly.
1: Yeah. I think it's interesting to think about because I I just think back to, um, and I'm guilty of it as a coach. Like there's so many times, um, previously when I was coaching, it was like, if a guy was struggling, right, we go right to the physical part. We're like, oh, you know, the hands, you know, you need to do this, you need to do that. And, like, for most guys, that's not always the adjustment for them, right? Like, they've done it so many times. Maybe it looked bad, that one swing, but at the end of the yeah. day, like, he didn't forget how to hit, right? Something <laughs> happened um, that kind of blocked his brain or whatever had happened Um, and kind of um, – you know, kept him from doing what he normally does. And I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit here. I'm, I'm curious on what your take is. So say your boss calls you today. And this is kind of a bad example, since we don't have baseball going on, but calls you today. And t- he's like, tomorrow, you're going to be in the dugout. And we're going to have mental skills coaches in the dugout. What's kind of your approach? What, what would you do? Um, I, I guess, what would your game plan be going into that?
3: Yeah, my game plan would be to chill and observe, to be totally honest. Like, I am, I'm not, <laughs> I can, like, it's Ugh. funny because when you ask, I literally go to like worst case scenario and I'm like, <laughs> I like dress fully up. Like, and I'm, like <laughs> yeah, what? So absolutely. Guys,
1: like, swing, the whole thing.
3: You got like, like in dog like stripes. Oh, right. Yeah. In the clubhouse, like, like <laughs> totally overbearing, which I don't go into the clubhouses, but that's obviously because I'm a female. But, um, like it, it just like totally overbearing. And I would just, I would like, if it was seriously my first time doing that, I would like take so many steps back and people may not even realize I'm, I'm in there because I'm always at the games, but I'm usually in the stands. And so I can imagine guys just being like, what are you doing in here? And I'm like, just hanging out, like, just do your thing. Like, don't worry about me. And, um, I, I think I, I, I would have to like, kind of, Cause there's, you know, there's specific guys who would like, if I'm in there, they're going to ask me questions during the game. And I think I have to be careful that like, we're not like losing track of the actual game happening. And so like, if we want to, you know, have our arms up resting on the dugout, watching the game and having conversations about that, like, I love that. Um, but again, I think I'd just be kind of in the background and, and wait for them to come to me and start those conversations and really make let them accept me um before I like force that entryway you know we call it feel in baseball I'm sure you guys have heard of that but we yep. um oh yeah I gotta have feel I try to um I've actually pride myself in the amount of feel that I have I feel like I have a pretty solid amount um but that's a big one for me is because and I tell people this all the time who are like what if I want to be a female working in this industry it's like you have to realize like although you're a female like you are going into a male's world and that's okay. And you can't expect them to change everything for you. And so you have to adapt to their world. So that's kind of what I would think about going into the dugout is like, okay, foreign, like not foreign for me, obviously softball dugouts, but foreign in this setting. And like, I just need to like kind of observe and adapt and, and see where I fit in best here with them and not like uh, all in your face. I'm here. You guys adjust to me, right? Like I'm going to adjust to them and, and figure out the best way that I fit in for sure. Um, how
2: has, how has the mental game kind of changed over recent years? Cause I know like from the data side of it now, a lot of numbers are in play for hitting, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and guys that are on the mound. So in the last, like maybe even two or three, you know, recent years, what's been like the biggest strides on the mental side of it?
3: Yeah. Um, I, I, I don't think data because it's a lot of what we do is intangibles, obviously. Um, But I'd say numbers are a big one. And by numbers, I mean, like number of bodies, like, when I was an intern for the Pirates, I guess, um, oh my god, five years ago in 2015, um, I, or I guess it was 16. um, There was like, not a lot of opportunities. And like, it was pretty big time to like, even land an internship. And there was like, not a lot of full time positions open. And now there's like, we have teams in major league baseball who have like eight or nine mental skills coaches on their staff. And so like we have three full-time and one part-time. So I think the biggest change is the number of opportunities. And I think it's going to keep growing and getting more and more dominant. Just it's kind of like strength and conditioning was like a long time ago, there was one strength and conditioning coach. And now we have a strength and conditioning coach at every level. Um, I think mental skills is unique because I don't think you necessarily need someone at every level. I think you don't need someone there every single day, but I think a lot of people do think that, and I think that's okay. Um, differences of opinions are okay, if you can believe that in today's no, world. No, um, Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, but I think that's the biggest change is just like how many jobs, how many people are taking this seriously. And and I think Major League Baseball in, in general is leading professional sports and in, in really, welcoming and creating cultures around or that include mental skills, which I think is the coolest part.
1: You've, sure. uh, Yeah, no doubt. You, you've given us a, a ton of background, obviously on the mental skills side, but I want to kind of dive into a, a little segment you have on your Instagram account. Yeah, we, we, right. uh, we were checking out the uh, Mental Sweat Mondays. What's that about? How'd that start?
3: <laughs> yeah, so Mental Sweat Monday is like a one-minute video um, all about mental performance, and it's just like different tips and tricks and awareness buildings on you checking in on the mental side of your performance, and I started it um, last January, so January of 2019, um, and have been going ever since, so we're almost at a year and a half, which is insane, um but it's yeah it's i did it to i had so many people always asking like what do you do as a mental performance coach like what exactly is that what does that mean and i was like how can i one build awareness around what it is that i do and two like share and help other people not just the people i'm directly working with on a daily basis and so I was like, what do I like the best? And I was like, Instagram. And I was like, what do I hate the most? And I was like, cheesy quotes. And so I was like, okay, <laughs> we're not going to do quotes. And I was like, I also don't like like long videos or things that take too much of my time. So I was like, let's do one minute videos every Monday because why not Monday? Everybody hates Monday and I love Mondays now. So um, it just kind of turned into this whole thing. And and we came up with a name because um, a year and a half ago and still kind of stands true today is you know, social media is freaking obsessed with like physical sweating and like being in the best shape of your life and do this yoga workout, do this ab workout, like whatever, even in the quarantine, they're like, make sure you run every day. Like, right. We see it all day. day. (laughs) And it's like, um, that's awesome and super important. But what's just as important is making sure you're breaking a mental sweat too. And, and, and checking in on, your brain and your mind and your mental health and your just overall well-being And so that's kind of why and how I came up with that was just like, actually my husband, I'll give him a little credit. He helped me come up with mental sweat, but, um, yeah, we were just like, how do we make mental performance just as important as physical performance? And it's like, let's call it sweating, like mental sweating. Like you supposed to sweat physically every day and you should sweat mentally every day too. So yeah, it's pretty fun.
1: Yeah. I mean, if you, if it makes you feel, uh, Feel good. I, I got a mental sweat on uh, during this podcast. My mind's just like rolling after <laughs> yeah. getting all this information. I'm sitting here like it. staring through the computer like, man, I got so many questions. We could keep <laughs> this thing rolling all night, but we're not going to do that to you. We appreciate you coming on today. It was awesome to meet you. Um, had a great time. Some awesome, valuable information for any of the listeners. Um, and hopefully down the road, we can get you back on
3: yeah sounds good i had a blast thanks guys i'm glad you guys got a solid mental sweat in <laughs> <Yeah>. sure <man.
1: laughs> and, then, and then hopefully you
2: and i can talk later so i can start sinking some putts
3: yeah hey we can do that i work on a lot of people's golf games including my husband so love it, <laughs> Bring it all on right back.
2: well thanks, thanks awesome. again, Anna.
3: thanks guys